Kelsey Guerra, and I want to welcome you here to Christian Assembly Women. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Today I want to read a verse for you, and I would love for you to worship with us as we sing. This verse is Psalm 63, 1 through 5, and it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So let's praise him today as we sing together. Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. At your name still, call the sea to still. The rage in me to still. darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus breathe call these bones to live call these lungs to sing once again darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear oh Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus your name is a light that the shadows can't deny your
Doesn't it feel like it's been forever since we've been together? Um, I want to welcome anybody who's new, who's coming for the first time. Uh, this is the right place for you to be. It doesn't matter when you're jumping in. It's never too late to jump into God's Word. And so if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, my name's Coley. I'm a pastor at staff here on staff here at Christian Assembly. Uh, and we're just excited that you are checking this out and trying something new with us. If you need a group, uh, we still have openings.
means we have groups that are open year round whenever we do Bible study in session. Um, and so you can go on our website and register for a group. And so um, I'm just excited. We are back in Acts Live with Purpose. And what we're doing in this, it was a 12-week series, six weeks in winter. So now we're heading into the six weeks in spring. We are traveling with Paul as he goes on his missionary journey to spread the gospel. And what our focus is in this session is how to live with purpose based on what we learn about Paul's life, his missionary journey, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how that changes us. We follow along with Paul and each week we want to encourage you to put into practice what you read, uh, to have people praying for you, to try it on for size. And so we have a different focus every week of something we're trying to learn or a feature or characteristic we're trying to embrace. And so that's kind of an overview of the Acts Bible Study Guide in this season. Uh, but really, I'm just excited to be back. I feel like I haven't seen you for a long time. Uh, I did get to see a ton of you at Morning of Solitude. And so thank you so much for those of you that came out and joined in. Uh, if you weren't able to come in person, I hope you were able to come uh, and join online with us uh, just so that you could sit at the feet of Jesus and spend some quality time with him. So we've heard awesome stories of women feeling like God spoke into their lives that morning. So praise the Lord. Uh, Thank you for being part of that if you joined us in that. So I'm about to kick off today. And as always, you know this about me, I get excited. So there's there's so much in this text today. Um, so we're just going to dive in because <laughs> otherwise this could be 80 minutes and we want it to be shorter for you because your time is precious. So um, why don't we pray and then we'll dive right in to the, the talk of this week. We're on week number seven. So will you pray with me? Uh, Father, God, you're so, so, so good to us. Uh, Lord, this, as I'm recording this talk right now, uh, it's Holy Week, Father, and we're leading up uh, to the death and resurrection of Jesus, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And so, Lord, right now we just declare in this moment that you are good and you are for your people and there is transformation uh, in you and there's life in you, Father. And so I just pray a blessing over all the women uh, today, Lord, who are watching this. Would you meet with us? Would you convene with us? And would you teach us what it means to be people with perspective? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I just gave away our intro. We are studying today what it means to be people with perspective. And this is what I want to start us off with. I want us thinking about perspective because a change in perspective can change everything. A change in perspective can change everything. And so today we are going to explore with Paul, uh, and I have four points for us today, not three, four, because we're kicking back off and it's just even more fun and more giving. Um, so there's going to be four points that we explore today. But before we even dive into the text, uh, I want to tell you a story that I read about a man on a train. Uh, this happened in London. Uh, it's a true story as far as I know, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Uh, but one day there was this man who was riding on a train, and he got there a little bit early. And so he decided to treat himself while he waited for the train. And so he got himself a newspaper, a coffee, and a packet of cookies. And he was so excited. He got all his stuff. He's waiting for the train. He sits down, puts his stuff down. Um, and begins kind of reading the newspaper, drinking his coffee, and he notices that a guy comes and sits next to him. Doesn't think much of it, reads on. Uh, at one point, he hears a little rustling of a wrapper, and he looks over, and, and the man has reached over and opened his cookies. And this is a British man, so he's reserved and noble and polite, so he, he doesn't really say anything. He kind of looks over, and he sees the man reaches in and takes a cookie. Uh, and he's a little surprised that a stranger waiting for the train would do this, um, but he thinks, okay, okay, maybe he was, all right, maybe he was just really hungry. So then he reaches in and grabs one and eats one and just says, you know, I'll make him sure he knows it's mine. Well, this proceeds to happen again. And he's eating his cookie, reading the paper, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees that the man takes another cookie. And at this point, he's thinking, do I, do I say something? It's a little awkward. Oh, sir, did you notice that one of my cookies is gone? Um, and so he decides not to say anything. And so he grabs another cookie and eats it and kind of gives the man a little side glance, but doesn't, again, doesn't want to be rude. Um, and so they go back and forth uh, like this until the eighth cookie is gone. And at that point, the train is approaching and the man next to him, he gets up and the man says there's this moment of this awkward, what just happened? And the man kind of smiles at him and, and moves on. And the guy's sitting there and he's thinking, what just happened? Well, sure enough, his train comes. And so he goes to put his newspaper in his backpack. And as he opens his bag, 
he sees his bag of cookies in the bag. That was the other man's bag of cookies. Perspective changes things. What we perceive is not always truth, but what we perceive determines how we live, how we respond, and how we act. That man in the moment thought that there was a very aggressive and rude and selfish man who was stealing his cookies. But when he realized that the man had shared his own cookies, he became the kindest, most generous soul in London how we see things matter. And today, Paul is going to dive into that. He's going to be going, continuing on in his missionary journey, and we're going to look at four perspective changes. I believe Paul invites us to try on to see the truth of who Jesus is. And so, uh, as we always do, I'm going to start off. We're going to read. You can follow along on the screen, or if you want to go along in your own Bibles. We are kicking off Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Uh, They're on the missionary journey. Paul just left Silas and Timothy. And so, we jump off in verse 16. Read along with me. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him into a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. All right, we're going to pause there. So, so Paul walks into the city of Athens, and the first thing that happens to him is he sees, he gets distressed because he sees that the city is full of idols. Now, back in the day, there was a quote that said Athens had more statutes to gods than people in the city. So this was a city that had idols and statues and all these deities that were worshipped all over. And so Paul walks in. And he just gets distressed that there's all these other gods that they're worshiping. Um, If you're new to the Bible or you're new to this culture, uh, idols were things that were crafted in the image of gods and then worship. But idols don't just mean silver or gold statues or carved wood, wood things. Idols are really anything that we put above God. And so when I read this first passage, I thought, man, what, what would a modern day Paul, what would he see if he walked into our city? Sure, there wouldn't be statues everywhere. There wouldn't be, people wouldn't be worshiping small, hand, hand-painted, I guess, little man-made things. However, we're a city full of idols. Just drive down the street, drive down Rodeo Drive. What do you see? Look at the billboards. There, anything that we worship or love more than God can become an idol. And so Paul walks into Athens and he sees this. And the first thing he does is he talks about it. He doesn't just think, oh, great. Like they got other gods. I got my God. Cool. It's all relative. You do you, I'll do me. He sees it and it breaks his heart because he thinks you're worshiping things that are not true. You're missing the truth about who the real God is. And so Paul Paul goes in, they said, hey, you're, we just like to sit around and think. So you're, you're saying something we've never heard. Come share it with us. And so Paul steps up, and we're about to hear one of Paul's most polished talks in the book of Acts. It's in sync. It's, in, it's, it's a beautiful piece of literature. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, and this is what Paul says after he sees the idols in the city. This is his response, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul calls him out. He says, You are ignorant of the very thing you worship. I wonder, just as a pause, is there anything in your life that you don't even realize you're worshiping, that you don't even realize is an idol, what you've put your hope into, your time into, your energy into, something you thought would save you? Is there something that maybe you and I don't even see, that we don't even know we're worshiping? This is what Paul's talking about. He says, you don't even know. You have an inscription to a God unknown. You don't even know who it is and you're worshiping him. I think that's a, that's a heart check for me of, are there things that I'm ignorant that I even value and look up to more than God? 
But going on, this is where Paul, he lays out, he lays out five points I'm going to talk about, and they're, they're beautiful. Verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead." Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that elegant? If you've been in the church before, I imagine you've heard maybe some of this quoted before. Uh, but Paul basically lays out, he's like, hey, you're, you're worshiping and chasing a lot of other things. I need to tell you the truth about this. I need to switch your perspective. I need you to f- turn your focus from idols that can't save you, that, can't, that don't have the power to heal you, to transform you, to make you new. And I need to tell you about the one true God who is worthy of worship, who I want you to start chasing and focusing on instead. And so Paul lays out five points about God. The first one is in verse 24, Uh, He lays out the greatness of God. God is a creator. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He shows the vastness of God by saying, God, this God, the one true God is the creator of everything. Then he goes on to talk about the goodness of God, that God is a provider. And so in verse 25, he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives gives everyone life and breath and everything else. We serve a God who is a provider. He doesn't need anything from us. He, he delights in giving good things to us and giving us life and breath and joy. Uh, he is the great provider. Paul goes on to talk about the government of God, how he's a ruler in verse 26 and 27. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God governs the world and yet is made tangible and close to us. He sets the boundary lines, but his hope is that we would seek him and reach out to him and find him. God is a good governor and ruler. The third thing that Paul points out is he points out the glory of God, that God is our father. In verse 28 and 29, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That means that we're his kids. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Basically, Paul's saying, we are considered children of God. He's a father. What glory is that? And the last thing Paul says about God is he talks about the grace of God, that God is our savior. He says in verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent means to stop, to turn away, to make a 180, to switch direction. Uh, 31, for he has set a day when we will, he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God is our savior. He's the one that we can turn to. He's the one that can bring death to life. And so Paul lays out this vision. And he, basically the first, the first invitation I feel like we get in this text is this, this choice. Instead of focusing on our idols or the things that we want or the things that we think are going to get us what we need, Paul invites us to seek the one person, the one God who truly matters, the God of the universe, whose son Jesus Christ came, lived and died for our sins, the creator, the father, the ruler, the reigner. Paul's saying, don't waste your time on idols. They don't serve you. They don't love you. You aren't related to them. They don't have the power to actually heal or do anything. You're wasting your energies and your affection 
on a city with thousands of them that you don't even know their name. Let me tell you the name, the name of our God, Yahweh, or is one God. And so the first invitation that I feel like Paul invites you and I into today is to do a little self-inventory of ourselves. Do we have idols that we don't even realize we're chasing? And I think one of the easiest ways to look at idols is to think about what we want. If I asked you right now, what do you want? What's the first thing that pops into our head, in your head? Oftentimes, what we idolize is what we tend to dwell on, what we desire, what we think will make us happy. And there's, there's all kinds of idols in our world. Anything can be an idol if we exalt it above God. So family, relationships, financial security, health, our home, uh, our livelihood. We can, we can idolize our bodies. We can idolize our image. We can idolize our reputation. We can idolize politicians or our political side. We can idolize almost anything. That's the gift of our free will is God lets us choose what we love, what we want, what we chase, what we desire. But what Paul's saying is you need to be people with perspective because the reality is these idols, they're, they're never going to satisfy you. They're only going to disappoint you. Only the true living God will ever be able to fill you, will ever be able to meet your needs, will, e- will, will be enough to satiate your soul. Don't turn to worthless idols made by man. Turn to the creator who made everything. Um, Romans 1.25 says, they, the people, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. You see, everything good in our world comes from God. He's a provider. He wants us to have good things. He wants us to enjoy life, to have good health, to have family, to have friends, to have a home. He wants all those things for us. But the problem is in our hearts when we want those things more than God. So I wonder again today, what do you want? If you find yourself wanting things, created things, things of this world, I invite you to offer that to the Lord. I invite you to say, God, I want you. (laughs) I want you to be my main desire. I want you to be what I wake up seeking and yearning for and longing after. Because God, you are enough. You're big enough to satisfy. You're worth my energy. You're worth my my chase, my praise, my pursuit. You're worth worshiping and talking about. So that's the first invitation that I believe Paul has for us. And I think it's so relevant for us here today in our culture. And this isn't a moment of shame of what are you idolizing? You shouldn't be doing that shame on you. That's not what it is. It's really an invitation to worship something that's worthy of worship uh, that can actually make a difference, that can actually fill us, satisfy us. And so when we focus on the things of God, when we focus on who he is, his power, his character, his creation. Have you ever been in nature? I mean, just walking through the forest, being at the beach, you just see that God is so creative. He's so good. He's so majestic. When we position ourselves to worship God instead of worshiping things, we position ourselves in a posture to receive goodness from him, to be aligned with truth, to see the world the way he created it to be, to worship what is true instead of what promises are false. So that's the first perspective I want to invite you into today. And we see Paul lay it out so clearly for the people that like to just sit around and think and talk about ideas. Maybe they idolize philosophy. Paul basically calls it out and says, you're worshiping things you don't even know. Let me give you a name for it. Let me put a face on it. And the reason you'll know is because his son rose from the dead. You'll know that it's true when you see that. So Paul talks about that. He directs them to, to move away from idols, to focus on the king. And I wonder, what would that look like for you today? If you gave your perception a, a change of pace, if you laid aside the things you want and asked God instead to be all that you want, to consume you, to fill you, what would that look like for you in your life today? That's the first perspective change Paul invites us into. But we're going to carry on. Uh, he's headed out of here. He's headed to Corinth. What is the second thing? Let's read on. All right, so verse 32. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 
chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are those, um, the people not in the Jewish category of God's chosen people. For those of you who are just jumping in with us. Uh, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. All right, that was a lot. So Paul's in Athens. He's preaching to the philosophers. He tells them about the resurrection of the dead and some sneer and some are interested, which brings us to our second perspective today. And that is, is the resurrection the center of your faith or not? See here, Paul preaches the resurrection of Jesus Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, forgiving our sins, inviting us to eternal life with him. Paul knows that this perspective changes everything, that the resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our faith. It's what he preaches the gospel out of. And so Paul goes on, he goes, he leaves Athens after he tells them about it. A few people were converted, but Paul continues on his journey because his goal is to make the resurrection of Jesus known to all the earth. And so he carries on into Corinth. He meets Priscilla, he meets Aquila, and he goes on and he continues to share. But what happens is the Jews who are there, they don't believe. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so what Paul says is he says, your blood be on your own heads. This one's on you. I tried. I told you the truth. I told you that Jesus was the son of God. I told you that he came to forgive your sins. I told you to repent and you didn't listen. You didn't believe. And so Paul, Paul wipes his hands and he says, that's it. I'm, I'm going to go not to my people. The Jews were Paul's people. He says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles because I, I need to preach Jesus resurrected. And if you're not going to receive it, I have to share it with somebody who will. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that God sent his one and only son into the world and that he loves you and that he died for you and that God raised him up to eternal life? This is the good news. This is the whole point of our faith. Easter Sunday that that Jesus conquered death and that in that there's forgiveness of sins for you and I. This is the message that Paul went to preach. And as you saw earlier when he was in Athens, some people sneered and some people were interested. It's the determining factor of people will follow Jesus or not, is if you believe that he resurrected. Uh, one of the best sermons I've ever heard uh, to this day, I wish I could go back. It wasn't recorded. I was at, I used to be a youth pastor in Portland, and I went to this conference, and uh, a famous pastor, you may know him, by the name of Judah Smith, Smith, was speaking there, and he preached on Revelation 21. He talked about the new city of Jerusalem, and what Judah Smith said is he said that that in verse, in chapter 21 of Revelation, there are all these different colors that are described, gold, jasper, um, onyx, all these beautiful, rare colors, but what what that's described in the Bible is that they're clear. And Judah Smith made the comment about how are these all these colors and then the streets are gold, clear as glass. What does that mean? Because gold is a color and clear. And Judah Smith made the point that in heaven, everything is about Jesus. It's so clear that all those colors are meant just to show his greatness, just to show who he is, that the whole city radiates with who Christ is. Everything is about Jesus. Everything. Do you believe that? Is the gospel the center of your life and being that you didn't have to earn God's love, but that instead Jesus came down and paid the penalty, took on the cross for you so that you could receive the inheritance of being God's daughter? 
that he did it. You don't have to. This is the good news. This is the gift of the faith. And this is what Paul's mission was, to set out to preach the good news to all the earth. And so when the Jews didn't receive his message, Paul said, I can't, then I can't make you believe this. I'm going to go to somebody who will actually receive this good news and put the resurrection at the center of their faith. Is the resurrection, is at the center of your faith? One of the things that I love about this text and I think is so interesting is that Paul, when he's in Athens, gives one of the most eloquent uh, deliveries of who God is, right? Wasn't that beautiful? Uh, All the verses and points he makes about God. But you know what Paul didn't mention in that talk? Paul didn't mention Jesus, and he didn't mention the resurrection. He didn't say those words in that talk. And you know what? What we saw at the end uh, was just a small result. It's that a few people became followers. But then when you fast forward to Corinth, Corinth is this city of sin. They had this huge temple in the middle, the Aphrodite temple, where temple prostitutes used to surround the ground and people would sleep with the prostitutes to worship the God. It was considered a very wicked city. To say someone was a Corinthian was almost like an insult, like a slang, like a bad, a bad omer on them. Uh, but Paul, when he preached the gospel there, we, we see movement. In any place where Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection was preached, in Paul's journey, we see churches start. We see this movement flowing. But when Paul preached in Athens, a few people came to believe. Why? I think it's because he didn't preach Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of the Son of the living God. Jesus is the center. And so I wonder today, if I were to look at your life, at your world, uh, how you spend your time, what you believe, would I see the gospel of Jesus as a priority, as the center of yourself, of your identity, of your understanding of who you are, that you and I are sinners saved by grace who have inherited a kingdom we don't deserve, but because of his lavish love, God's given it to us. Would I see that when I look in your life? Have you sat in the power of the gospel? How the God of the universe died for you, you specifically, knowing exactly who you were, where you were born, who your parents were, the things in life you've endured, what your passions are, what your interests are, that you are his chosen daughter. Do you believe that? I don't know when you're going to watch this, if you're going to watch it before or after Easter, but what my prayer is for you is that the resurrection of Jesus, that he was raised from the dead to new life would be an invitation for you to invite that new life in, to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died and was raised again and that I, because I believe in him, am counted as one with him, that we, Christ and I have the same mind that I have the ability to forgive and love people the same way he does because of the power of Jesus in me. It's a beautiful invitation and it's the center of what Paul sets out to do. And so the second perspective I wanna challenge you on today is, is the resurrection the center of your existence? Is it what you're living for? Is it how you view yourself? Is it your identity? And if not, would you invite Jesus into your heart today to forgive your sins and to make his blood shed on the cross who you are, a child forgiven and loved and redeemed? That is the message of the gospel. It's love that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love is the center of our faith. Would you invite love in the name of Jesus into your heart today if that's a perspective that you don't carry? And if you've walked with Jesus forever and you believe in him, will you allow, will you allow him to take full control of your life, full reign, that his resurrection is your resurrection, that what feels dead in your life is not impossible for him to conquer because he is a God of victory, that nothing is impossible for those who love and believe in Jesus Christ that Christ makes all things possible. That's a gift for us today. That's the second point that Paul makes. The resurrection of Jesus is the center of the gospel. Um, and then we're gonna carry on. Cause like I said, we got a lot. And Paul's, Paul is like a one man show. He's moving in and out. He's preaching, he's arguing in the synagogue. He goes to the Gentiles house. And so now we see Paul open the gateway for all the people uh, that are not God's chosen people, the Jews. Paul brings a message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, and so we carry on in verse nine, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Uh, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. 
So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Uh, so the third point that we see today when we think about switching perspectives uh, is what are you believing? Are you holding on to God's promises or are you going with your feelings or logic? So what we see happen is Paul hears a vision one night from the Lord and he says, don't be afraid, keep on speaking. I've got people in the city and they won't harm you. God promises Paul that he's going to protect him and he tells him, don't be silent, keep speaking. And Paul believes him. Paul takes God's promise at his word. And what happens is Paul ends up staying in Corinth for a year and a half. Paul takes the promise and he settles into the command God gives him. And we see much fruit. And the first fruit we see is that the Jews in the synagogue, they're trying to get Paul out. Paul is preaching Jesus and they do not want him preaching Jesus. So they, they develop this legal plan. Well, if we can say he's blasphemy, maybe Galileo will kick him out. Galileo will remove him for us. So they bring the issue before Galileo. And what does Galileo do? Galileo just dismisses it on the ground of, that's your religion, that's your stuff, don't bring this into legal matters. Can you imagine the Jewish people in the synagogue who thought they got him, who thought they would have Paul exiled and kicked out? The case is dropped instantly and Paul gets the victory. That's who our God is. Our God is a God of victory. He's a God of promises. What are you believing today? The world will have us believing so many crazy things. And the enemy, who is real, Satan is the king of lies. His whole job is to deceive you and to make you believe that the good things God given, has given you aren't actually real. He'll say things like, did God really say that? Is that actually true? Satan's whole job is to convince you that God's goodness isn't for you, that God's not with you, that his love doesn't reach you, that it's not enough. Satan's whole job is to lie. But instead, we see here that Paul, instead of being deceived by fear, Paul's been beaten, imprisoned, and God tells him, no, I'm, I'm going to protect you. You're going to be safe in the city. Keep on speaking. Paul receives that promise, and he lives it out. And here's the thing about the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and active and true, and it will always be fulfilled. And so we have the choice, we have the opportunity, our perspective, to either choose to believe God's promises and trust them at their word, as some would say, take them to the bank. Like Paul was like, okay, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to keep on speaking. And Paul lived another year in Corinth and saw the fruit of God protecting him. That's one choice we have. Or we can worry and fret and not trust God's promises and be concerned the whole time if, if something bad's going to happen or if he's not going to be there and distrust the promise. We miss the peace of trusting God's promise. We miss the fulfillment of them because God's word is going to prevail whether we believe it or not. God is faithful and will fulfill his promises to his people. And so I wonder, what are you believing today? Is there anything in your head that has caused you to doubt, to fear, to be afraid, to turn from God? Uh, I would offer you the opportunity just to examine it under God's truth, under his promises. I have found in the season of COVID and the pandemic that it is so easy uh, to have thoughts come in and just destroy, to take over for fear, for anger, for disappointment, for frustration, for bitterness. All these things are so easy to creep in in this season. And what I found is that when I go back to God's promises, it gives me like rock to stand on. It gives me truth to put my hope into. And so I just wanted to give you four tiny little promises that you can cling to. If, you've, if you don't know what the promises of God are, um, I invite you just to Google it. Uh, I Googled yesterday and what, there was all these different articles, 162 promises, 50 promises. Read the word of God and see what God has promised you. It's like a treasure hunt. What are the promises of God that you can hang on to when things are uncertain? So I just want to offer you four little ones that I found today that felt relevant to me. Uh, hope they feel relevant to you. But if not, go search, find God's promises and hang on to them because they are 
his word and they will come to pass. So this is one of them. For those of you who feel like you're in a season where you need God's help, this is the promise he gives to us. Isaiah 41, 13 says, he says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, I will help you. How many of you need help today? How many of you need God to take hold of your right hand and to come alongside and help you? That is a promise he has made that he will take your right hand and he will help you. Take that one to the bank. If you need help, cry out today. Ask God to hold your hand and to help you in whatever situation you find yourself in. Another one is God's faithfulness. Uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's compassions never fail. His mercies are new every single morning. Somebody needs to hear that today. Someone has had a hard week, a hard month, a hard year, and you feel like there's no hope. And I want to remind you that God is faithful. He is for you, and he wakes up every single day for you, with you. His compassion never fails. That is the God that we serve, a God whose loving kindness indeed never ceases. So I don't know what you've been through in this week or this month, but I want to promise you from the words the Lord's word, God is faithful and his loving kindness is for you and his mercies are new every morning. Um, for those of you uh, who are wondering about salvation and believing in Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know that feeling when you do something bad? It's kind of that haunting, icky feeling in your stomach where you just, you know you messed up and you just can't undo it because you, you're not master of time. You can't go back in the past. So you sit with this icky feeling of, oh, I can't believe I did that. This promise is for you that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Uh, the other day I was praying with a friend and at the end she said, well, do you just mind if we take a time of confession? And I thought, oh, sure, yeah. I don't usually do that when I pray with people, but sure. So she's like, I want to start. And she just started confessing some of the things that were in her heart, um, getting angry about things, getting worried about things, things she said, things she thought, things she did. She started confessing them out loud. And I was amazed by this because this isn't something I normally practice with other people. But when we were done, she's like, oh, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I just started confessing things that I had done wrong, thoughts that I had thought, things that felt like that icky feeling of evil that you feel when you do something wrong or bad or something that hurts someone. I just started confessing it. And friends, let me tell you, there is something about confessing our sins out loud to God that he heals us. He is just to forgive us. And when we were done praying, I just left feeling so lighthearted of like, yes, I know I've always believed God forgives our sins, but there's something powerful about speaking them out and bringing them into the light and knowing that God is faithful and just to heal them. And so I want to encourage you, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it with a friend, just to confess in your own room or in your car somewhere private, just speak the things out loud and receive God's forgiveness so that that feeling that pit of like, oh, that's what forgiveness is. God takes it away. He says, I will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will remember them no more. When we confess, God is faithful and just to cleanse us of anything that feels like, oh, I can't believe I did that. So that's another promise. And the last one I'll leave for you today is one that I need. It's about wisdom. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all who ask without finding fault and it will be given to you. That is a promise for you and I. When we need wisdom, uh, God gives generously above and beyond. Um, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of wisdom, not just in life, but especially in this season of navigating uh, COVID, navigating everything that's happening in the world. I need God's wisdom uh, for every single day, for every single situation. Um, And so that's a promise that you and I can go to him and say, God, I need wisdom. I'm not smart enough. I don't get this. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand this financial problem. I don't understand what's happening in this relationship. I don't understand what I need to do in my job. Help me, Lord. Give me your wisdom. And God is faithful to give it to you. So, 
that is point number three. What are you believing? Are you believing in God's promises or are you believing in your own feelings and what the world says? I want to encourage you this week, dig into God's promise. Find one promise for you that speaks to you, whether you Google it or open your Bible or there's one you had in the past. Find one promise and camp out on this this week. Read it, meditate on it, think about it at night and see what the Lord does through a week of holding on to his promise. Watch him be faithful and show up and show you how true he is to his word because God's word we can take to the bank. All right, and moving on, our last little section. There's so much here. I wish we could cover all of it, but I'm going to jump ahead. We're going to skip down to verse 24. Um, Paul's traveling everywhere, and it's, it's, he's going a lot of places. It's hard to keep up. So we're going to dive right in in verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And so the last perspective switch I want to invite us into today is, do you believe that you are enough or not enough? Do you believe that you, what you have to give is enough or do you need more? In this circumstance, here we see Apollos who only knows the baptism of John. And here we see Priscilla and Achilla. I love that their names are rhyming. We see them and they hear Apollos and they realize he only knows the baptism of John. He doesn't even know the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died and the Holy Spirit came down. And so what they do is they see that and they invite him into their home and they share with him the rest of the story that they know. What you and I have a tendency to do, or maybe I'll just speak for myself, is sometimes we have a tendency uh, to think that we don't have enough, that we don't know enough. Some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, I guess I, if I talk to my friends about Jesus, they could have a lot of questions though, and like Tom or Mark or Coley or Jill, some, a pastor should answer that, I don't know everything. It would have been so easy for Priscilla uh, to say, hey, actually, Paul's the expert on this. Apollos, you, you got it kind of wrong, so, but I don't want to screw it up, so you, you should go talk to Paul or somebody else to get it right. Here's the reality. You and I all have something to give, and God positions us specifically in places with people next to us who need that little something you have. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a pastor. All you have to do is share whatever you know uh, with the next person who you know a little more than. Because somebody else, get this, someone else always knows a little more than you and you always know a little more than someone else. And so the invitation is, is not this justification of, ah, Coley, I don't really know. I haven't really studied scriptures. I don't, I don't know anything. I just, I would feel more comfortable if a pastor did it. No, it's not the truth. God has given you a uh, relationship with him and whatever you do know, he'll use. So Priscilla realizes that he only knows the baptism of John and they, they think, oh, okay, we can tell him what's happened next. Jesus, Jesus died and resurrected and he doesn't know that, but when he's teaching, uh, he needs to know the whole truth. So we'll share the little truth that we have. We'll invite him into our home. We'll befriend him. We'll be in relationship with him and we'll give him what we have. Do you believe that you have what you need to do what God's called you to do. The problem is I think so often we just want to think, ah, that's, oh, it seems too hard or it seems too scary. Or, I don't, I don't think I'm called to that. We just want to downplay our gifts and talents because we don't want the responsibility. And the problem with that is that we miss out on the goodness of God. We start to think our perception is, I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. And Satan comes in and he, he shrinks us when God's saying, no, I, I only want you to share a little bit. What you know is enough. I've given you voice. You've been in church for, like, for years. You've done Bible study. Some of you, this might be your first Bible study. I'm going to tell you, you probably know a little bit more about this passage than somebody else in your life just because you've listened to this. It's not these huge speaking in front of 5,000 people. It's, it's sharing what we know, what we believe with the person next to us. It's believing that whatever we learn about God, 
just a little bit we can give that to our neighbor. It's a concept that we have been given to generously, and so we should generously give. Uh, I remember um, I went to Voodoo Donuts in Portland. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but my, I had some friends visiting from out of town. They came. They really wanted to check out this famous donut place. This was like kind of before donuts were a big thing. I think they've always been a big thing in California, but back in the time, they had like a fruity pebble donut that people like they never really heard of a fruity pebble donut. So people would wait in line for like, I want to say hours. Um, so we went and sure enough, the line was super long. But what happened in this particular encounter was something I'd never experienced as someone who had gone to Voodoo Donuts before. We were standing in line and this woman came out from behind the kitchen with a whole bucket of donuts. And she said, does anyone want, does anyone want a bucket of donuts? And nobody in line knew what was happening. So we're all just standing there like looking at each other. And she's like, all right, does anyone, like $20 for a bucket. And again, n none of us could see the donuts. That we, didn't, we were like, wait, what? And she's like, uh, ten, anyone want the bucket for $10? And we, again, nobody knew what was going on. So we were all kind of waiting, nervous. And she's like, uh, does anyone want the bucket for $5? And something deep inside of me, it was like a price is right moment. I wanted that bucket of donuts. So when she named my price, I screamed. And I said, ah! I, I want the bucket of donuts for $5. And she's like, great, sold. And so I got to get out of the line. I got up, I got out a $5 bill and they gave me an entire bucket of voodoo donuts. You would have thought that I won the lottery. That my friends that were with me were like jumping up and down. People were taking pictures. So what we did is we took this, there was probably... I don't know, 20, 30, 40 donuts in this bucket. And apparently Voodoo Donuts has a rule that they only shelf their donuts for six hours. And once they read that shelf thing, they don't want to sell them because they don't want to ruin the freshness of their brand. So these donuts had been on the shelf for six hours and now it was time to go. So they put them in a bucket, they sold them off. And so my friends and I walked out of Voodoo Donuts with a huge bucket of donuts and we just started giving them out. And it was like Christmas. There was this little family from Italy they had never seen donuts. They didn't know what they were. And so we let each of the kids pick a donut and they were in seventh heaven, just like me. They were taking pictures. They were thanking us. They were hugging us. They loved the donuts. Here's my point about this story. When you and I believe that we have been generously provided for, when we believe we have enough, it's really fun and easy to give. It's a joy. The, the, I remember that day so well just because it brought so much joy to my heart. I, I started thinking I should buy buckets of donuts more often just because it was like this community engagement thing that everybody was walking up to us, taking pictures, thanking us, and we just got to give out free donuts. When we think we have enough, we give generously. When we don't think we have enough, I don't know about you, but I tend to be a much stingier person. I tend to withhold things. If I had gotten one donut that day, probably wouldn't have shared with that Italian family. Probably would have never met them. I would have just kept my little donut and eaten it. The problem is, is that when you and I get into this perspective that we don't have enough, we miss all the blessings that God actually has given us and wants us to share with others. So it's this perspective shift of, I have enough. Whatever God's given me, whatever I know about the Bible, uh, whatever I believe, what, the one Bible study I've been to, that's enough to, I can share with somebody else who doesn't know it. You have been given greatly by the Father. Whether you think you have a little or a lot, you've been given something and God wants you to share that something with somebody else. And when you do, the joy of the Lord will be present. And so may your perspective on that switch, not from I don't know enough, I'm not a pastor, I can't share the gospel, I, I don't have enough money, whatever it is, May you have an abundant mentality where everything the Lord's given you, it's not yours. It's all his. And so may we as his people choose to give the good things God's given us, the gospel, our love, our time, our energy, our possessions. May we be open-handed with them, just like Priscilla and Aquila were. They saw him in Apollos, this ability to speak. And so they gave him the little more that he had. And what did Apollos do? He went out and he preached fervently. He told the good news everywhere he went. Sometimes giving a little gets much. So what do you have to give today? What's something that you think, kind of like the loaves and fishes, that doesn't feel like much, but it's something you can offer to God? I imagine, I know him, and he wants to use whatever you give him to expound it, to expand it, and to bless others. So may our perspectives be switched to perspectives of abundant giving and blessing instead of not enough mentality, because that's not the God we serve. We serve a God of generosity and abundance. 
And so those are the four perspective changes. I'm going to recap them uh, just so you didn't forget them because I kind of talked a lot. Uh, but the first one is idols versus God. Who are you worshiping? Who do you want? The second one is, uh, the, is the resurrection at the center or not? What are you living for? Is the gospel the bedrock of who you are in your faith? Uh, number three, are we relying on God's promises or our feelings? What are you believing? Uh, and the last one is, do you have an enough or not enough mentality? And how do we see what we have as enough to give to others? These are the invitations and the lessons that I believe Paul wants us to apply this week. And so my prayer for you during Holy Week is that you would experience the full power of Jesus Christ, death on the cross for you, his burial in the tomb and his resurrection to new life where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he invites us to have eternal life with him. May the truth of Jesus resonate with you today, and may he give you just the hope that you need to get through this season, that we are in this together. God's got us, and we are moving with him into bigger and better things because that's who our God is. He's always moving us forward deeper and deeper into relationship with him and relationship with others. So, CA, women of CA, uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. I want to close this out in prayer. And my prayer would be that today, something that was said, something in the word of God would change your perspective, if only just a little bit, that you would experience the change that comes from seeing something differently. So let's pray. God, I just pray... First of all, a prayer of thanks for who you are. We praise you on Easter Sunday that he is risen indeed. We declare that, God. And God, I invite you to minister to each woman, God, that's listening right now. Father, would you highlight for her what perspective it is you want her to switch? What is something that maybe she's believing wrong, God, or believing something that's hurting her? or she just needs to see things with new eyes, I pray you grant each woman that's listening, Lord, a, a new perspective to see you in a new light, in a new way, and to live differently out of that, Father. We pray that we would have Christ-like perspectives and that we'd continue to minister and bless others wherever we go. So prayers of blessing over this entire community today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, excited to see you next week. Blessings on you.